Hi, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Skip Miller. And I'm Thibaut Suiris. Every two weeks, we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We're on a mission to change the way people see sales. As you know, sales is a profession that is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet people are afraid to try or really extend themselves. And this isn't really good. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs and M3 Learning. If you want to attend the recording of the podcast episodes and ask your questions to the guests, you can join the Selling Advantage community. It's a $25 a month subscription where you get access to a community of B2B salespeople, exclusive events, and tactical resources to help you close bigger deals faster. Join today and get one month for free at www.sellingadvantage.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom, tools, and tactics, and enjoy the show. So welcome everyone to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Today, I'm receiving uh, one of my first customers, actually. Uh, so it's uh, Jack Lancaster from Spoke. Jack, welcome to the show. Cool. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So before we dive into it, just want to tell a bit more about how we met. So uh, I think it was at like a Techstar event at the time where, uh, you know, event in person were kind of a thing or winter event in person were a thing. And I was giving a talk, I don't know about what, but, uh, you know, I think you liked it very much. And at the time you were into uh, the uh, BFF accelerator. And, right. uh, you know, as after that, you were actually the first customer I ever had of the T-shaped sales development program. I remember for the story, I was uh, driving my motorcycle with my wife in uh, Portugal and we just stopped for the, uh, you know, it was in August, we stopped for the uh, for lunch and I opened my phone and I was like, oh shit, someone actually bought my stuff. <laughs> there. So it was like, that was the first time I made money while I was motorcycling. So I really liked it. I just wanted to say thanks for that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you uh, had that experience with us. That's cool. Yeah, that was, that was great. But basically, so you're a serial entrepreneur, we could say you started at N26 where, you know, you did your stuff. Then you did like Plant Club, which was like a kind of a plant uh, subscription service for offices. And now you are tackling product stuff. So you're going to tell us a bit more about that with Spoke.ai. But I invited you today to talk about how you combine user research and prospecting. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we dive into it, just tell us a bit more about you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm originally from London. Uh, I've been living out in Berlin for about the last six and a, six and a half years ago. Uh, I've been living in Berlin for about the last six and a half years. Um, and I moved out here actually to start working at Rocket Internet. Like back then, it felt like the whole of Berlin was like doing some online marketing role at Rocket, mm-hmm. Rocket Internet. So that was quite quite cool, interesting learning experience for sure. Um, and then after Rocket, I joined N26 as about employee number 100 or so uh, and stayed there for three years leading different sort of product topics ranging from like the banking migration, did the chatbots, um, did some payment stuff with 3D Secure. Uh, then after that, I went out to San Francisco and was working for a fintech out there and splitting my time 50-50 Berlin. So uh, flying back and forth every two weeks, which I can tell you is, is a little bit tiring, um, but a very cool experience to be in the Bay and see how they build things there. Um, and then, as you said, started Plant Club, which is basically a B2B plants as a service offering. Um, and that was almost two years ago now. Uh, and have been have been working on that and building the team, uh, which is now 15 people. 
um, and we're working across Berlin, Hamburg and Vienna and, and we've got to do some really exciting projects there. So uh, companies and offices like Netflix, Spotify, Klarna, N26 of course um, as well. And then for the last six months, I think Max, my co-founder and I from, from Plant Club, along with a third co-founder, we were like getting a little bit itchy to go back into the tech space um, and then have been working on Spoke. Uh, and with Spoke, basically, we're trying to solve this problem of information sharing in organizations. So people are typically spending sort of around 60% of their time on, uh, on collecting information, on searching for it, on summarizing it, on sharing it. This is completely crazy. Everyone is looking for information and no one has the context to work. Uh, and what we're trying to do is make this process effortless by building a personalized feed for each individual within a company where they have access to all of the information, all of the context that they need to do their job without having to go and ask anyone or be asked by people. So that's, that's kind of what we're focusing on now. And the team is uh, seven people as I speak, um, but hoping to add a couple more before the end of the year. Okay, great. Yeah, I think we, we talked about that over lunch a while ago. And uh, I think it just so makes so much sense. I see my, my wife, for example, she works at Contentful. And uh, the fact of working remote makes uh, information sharing a bit harder with the team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this added stuff like, just, just makes it that you are spending so much time sharing information. I remember I was in, a, in, a, in, a, in the kitchen preparing some food last week and she was talking with partners uh, or like partner manager. Seriously, for 45 minutes, they were just like saying the same stuff over and over. Could, <laughs> that could have been an email. And you could see there was this, this, this complexity that is related to just, you know, exchanging through email, Slack and Zoom, which makes yeah. it harder. So I think it's, uh, it's spot on in there. How did you get the yeah. idea, by the way? Yeah, I think it actually came from like a feeling of pain that uh, I had certainly had and Max had had. I mean, I was leading kind of product verticals and Max was leading a lot of um, kind of projects basically at N26, especially on the expansion side. And we typically had just a ton of stakeholders to start with, even when the company was like two or 300 people. And then as it exploded to 1,500, it just became increasingly difficult to manage all of those people. And it was this feeling of like constantly being behind. Everyone wants a piece of information from you. You're then communicating that with people in different channels and mediums. So, you know, someone wants it by email, someone wants it in slides, someone wants it on Slack. It has to go in a deck somewhere for some alignment meeting. And at some point it was like, we were just running around trying to share information that was out of date as soon as you shared it, rather than actually doing any of the product work or the strategy work that we were ultimately hired to do and and obviously is the thing that's enjoyable and is fun right so it was just this feeling of just being like a really terrible information sharer because it's not an automated process and we were doing that ourselves okay okay and so you created spoke and uh now you are into this phase where you are trying to get like you know as many people to uh, to as possible to try it and you have this kind of really smart approach uh, so can you tell me a bit more about the approach you 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 take to get people to use it and give you feedback Sure. So, I mean, I have a background with user research anyway, from being on the product side and working at N26. And really the goal when you're trying to build something or really validating whether you should build something is to go and speak to users, right? Mm -hmm. So naturally, I think with Plant Club, we started doing this uh, and trying to find users to, to understand, you know, how the plant market worked, what kind of plants people were looking for, how they wanted those contracts to be structured, all of this stuff. So it started quite organically then. Um, 
And I would basically annoy all of my friends in my network and say like, you know, which company are you working for? Intro me to the, to the office manager because they were like the target persona, right? And then we would uh, create a script and go and speak to this office manager and annoy them and ask them a ton of different questions. Um, and yeah, basically then when it came to founding the company a couple months later, we had this pool of leads who were super qualified, super warm, we knew them on first name, first name basis. They really appreciated what we were doing because they felt very heard. And we could demonstrate how the product that we were building fit into their needs and solve their needs. So for example, they would say things like, oh, it's super frustrating when you have a contract for drinks and that, that contract is you know, a 12 month minimum. And then you realize you're changing offices and you need a different option. You know, And we could say, oh, with Plant Club, we really listened to that. And uh, we made it so that the contracts are always 30-day cancellation period, so it's super flexible. So people felt very, very heard. And then when it came around to kind of doing this the second time around with Spoke, we were able to professionalize it a lot more. So we then uh, introduced a lot more tools to do this process. Um, we identified, obviously, who our target audience were, um, and then were able to build a much more sophisticated process around you know, identifying contacting, putting the people into a funnel, um, you know, repeating that contact uh, again, and then, you know, ultimately pushing them towards basically signing up to a wait list or doing an onboarding call. And we could track that kind of uh, life cycle all the way through. Okay. Can you maybe walk me through that? So let's say you have the ICP identification. I know which framework you use for that because <laughs> it's the one for my course, but I'm super happy. So just walk me through that. Yeah, so the way that we do it is, is obviously identifying that, that user group to start with. And then what's quite nice with LinkedIn is that you can sort of structure a search there. So you can say, you know, I want, I'm looking for, and I'll, I'll give you the example of us, is we, we are targeting product managers in the first use case. Um, and we can say, I want product managers uh, in Berlin, um, you know, speaking English, for example. And we can create this kind of custom search and then just have a URL that has all of those search components mm -hmm. in and parameters. And then what we're able to do is plug that into Phantom Buster, which we use. And uh, this was also, I think, a tip from your side um, back in the day and something that we found very, very useful. And I think the, the value for money that you get with the tool is, is very strong. And so we plug that into to Phantom Buster. There are a few different steps that you then kind of chain together, phantoms that they call them. Mm -hmm. um, Basically, you sort of put in your search, it scrapes profiles, and then you're able to use the network booster to actually start adding people. So basically, it's running in the background, adding a bunch of product managers. Once those people accept, it checks that and then uh, sends them a message. Um, and then once they reply in that first message, by the way, we're quite, you know, we try and be very unsalesy because ultimately we're not trying to sell at this point. It's like, hey, you know, we're doing user research. We felt this problem. Is that something that you feel as well? And hey, you know, you're also a product manager. Nice to build one, one's network anyway. Mm -hmm. um, people, you know, I think the rate of reply is, is pretty good around sort of 20, 30%. Okay. And from there, we actually then, once they reply, we manually go in and send them uh, a Calendly link if they say they'd be up for a user research call. This takes all of the stress, obviously, out of that back and forth of like, are you free on Tuesday at five and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So we just send them the link. They book a time. Um, we then obviously go into the call and have a script that we use, uh, that we go through them with uh, and make notes in 
uh, Notion we use um, for that original process. And then after the call, we can basically track them um, in a funnel that we have in Active Campaign. Mm-hmm. And that allows us to Active Campaign, we can link into Phantom Buster using Integromat as well, which is another tool. Uh, and basically, we can kind of string all of these things together so that we have an automated funnel that we can then set sort of uh, actions and next steps in to say, uh, all right, now, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke to them, send them a follow up or, you know, now they're ready for onboarding, um, bring them in. And then even after that onboarding process, we can kind of track their process or their progress with the product um, and say, all right, maybe, you know, it's plus two weeks. Now we need to check in with them, get some feedback there. So it really allows us to take this, take this user or prospective user from, you know, being completely theoretical all the way through to actually someone who's embedded and using the product. And I think this is particularly important because sales and marketing shouldn't just stop when someone like downloads your app or signs up for your product. It has to ensure success, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to bring someone all the way through, be holding their hand, onboarding them, giving that good experience and making sure that they are using the product after two weeks, after six months, after a year, et cetera, in order to have a proper um, experience. And I think that that is also completely opposite to the the experience that I've had with a lot of big sales cycles. Mm-hmm. When you you know if you go for like Culture Amp or like one of these big B two B HR tools, you have like you schedule a demo and you speak to one person and yeah. they're like pre sales and then you have a call with someone else and then they refer you to like a product specialist and the whole time you're spoken to three different people and they don't know anything about you, like no one looks at the notes between this process and mm-hmm. it's super it's like very choppy and we exactly want to create a, an opposite experience to that you know with anyone that we bring on board as well as obviously having the the research discovery as well okay okay so so basically like the thing with active campaign so let me just do a, a quick summary of the tools you have phantom buster active campaign and integromat basically and calendly also and so right. basically Phantom Buster is a scraping and automation tool for LinkedIn. Active Campaign is an email marketing stuff like MailChimp, ConvertKit, or whatever, where you get emails and you can send like campaigns. Uh, Calendly is to book, uh, you know, like access to your calendar and do that. And Integromat is a low-code tool that allows you to plug different tools between each other, basically, right? Spot on, yeah. Okay. And so the active campaign stuff is basically when you got the call, you got the email and then based on the script you have and the notion kind of thing you do, you say, okay, this person's interested in the wait list. This person's not. Can you just tell me a bit more about the active campaign uh, flow? Yeah. So we have like a full pipeline in there. You can have different stages in the funnel. Mm-hmm. I think we've used pipe drive um, with plant club, our other company, but we found active campaign to be a little bit more powerful and uh, more friendly for integrating into other tools. Um, And basically the flow there is that, yeah, we'll have that call um, and then we have the script and we can set in tasks there and move them automatically to different steps. So, yeah, for example, I had a call last week with someone showed them a demo. Um, They were interested then um, in the wait list. They Mm -hmm. went and signed up to the wait list and then they were automatically moved into the wait list part of our funnel where we can then go in on like a weekly basis, look at the companies see who is a fit for our stage and who we want to onboard right now and take it from there basically. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. And so, so, I mean, that sounds like very smooth. And uh, what do you say into this, this call you're doing? Like what, what's the, because you know, you're obviously going to the, uh, you know, to kind of do a bit of research, but I guess in the back of your mind, you want to be able to prep them for buying something at some point. So what do you say in this call? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the goal is obviously to validate or invalidate hypotheses, right? And I think in terms of coming up with a good call script, the single best resource that you can use is the MUM test. Um, not sure if you're familiar with the book, but it's uh, basically, I think it's like the probably I would say the one must buy business book. It's also only about 100 pages or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically tells you how to like validate your business idea. Um, the and the mum test, it's called. Like mom, uh, like a mummy? Yeah, exactly. Like M-O-M. Okay. Yeah. And the idea is that like you shouldn't ask questions in the way that you'd ask, ask them to your mom. You know, like, oh, mom, do you think this is a good idea? She says, yes, of course. And then you go and build a, a business that fails with it, right? Yeah. You have to ask people questions and be vulnerable and find the way of asking questions in an unbiased way so that you can really try and understand the way that they are, you know, going about their day, the actions that they're taking, the way that they're using different tools, the problems that they're facing, etc. cetera. Mm. So we structure um, all of the call script around this and really trying to, to validate and understand um, those problems and those topics that they're facing uh, and then yeah basically use the output from there uh, look at then themes across multiple different conversations that we have so that we can say you know how are people dealing with a problem like remote work you know is there a common uh, is there a commonality between different companies are they you know all going for a hybrid pr- approach or all remote or whatever what are the themes that we can kind of deduce from that and that gives us like obviously the user research finding, but um, to answer your question of like how we prime them, the goal is not really at that stage to make sure that they are, you know, primed and want to buy something. I think it's very much a soft sell approach, right? It's like, you know, really us learning about their problems so that later on we can have a catch up, show them spoke, yeah. show them how it works. And then we already have the, the context of like their workflows, you know, so with spoke, the first use case it solves is like a, a stand-up within a tech and product team. So we can say, oh, we already know that your stand-up is, you know, three times a week and you're doing it in the morning. And, you know, you have a couple of people dialing in from different locations and time zones. We, we're primed and we know all of that information. So we can already address how Spoke fits into that use case and solves exactly mm-hmm. for them. Okay, that's amazing. And so... I love this because it uh, just makes so much sense when you want to approach a, you have a bunch of assumptions that are based on problems, then you want to validate them. And uh, I'm going to get the book that sounds very interesting where, and you obviously you ask questions that are not, as you said, like, Hey, you know, how, what do you think of this? And people are like, Oh, that's great. That's cool. You know, everyone will always tell you things are great, but it just, it's useless in terms of feedback. So I love this. And, and the fact that you get this, you know, you, you test the assumptions, the problem, then you can develop based on what people expect. Um, are you doing also because I'm thinking of how to make it like to make it like exponentially more powerful are you creating content around these problems and these things that you get where you say I got a mailing list I'm going to just like crunch an email where I say okay these are maybe the uh, reports we get from the last call we got last week this is what we've seen this is how we think we're going to solve it and then you could actually recycle that do some LinkedIn posts on Twitter and kind of build, build another around that. So are you making doing these kind of things or not? Yeah, we're trying to start to be like very open about the about our insights from the research because I think that, you know, it's fair to people that they participated in this and, and they can access that. And I think also it just makes sense to to put like learnings out there for people. Um, so I think it's definitely something we're thinking about. We're not doing a lot of it at the moment. Right now we're, we are putting some content out for Spoke, but it's more 
oriented to kind of information sharing in general and less around our kind of user research insights. But that's certainly something that we are planning to do okay. in the future. Okay, very nice. So now let's do a, a practical exercise. Um, so based on your strategy here, let, let me give you a very clear use case. So last Monday, I woke up and I read a, a very nice article talking about uh, it's a guy you certainly know about of him is Justin Welsh. And uh, he talked about a pivot he did, you know, in his, um, in his business, you know, he started like basically producing content to help uh, sales team into the healthcare department, basically sell better because that was where he was coming from. And then, you know, he just did that. And, and incidentally, he just kind of found that people were really interested in asking him stuff about LinkedIn because he was posting about that. So he switched to doing LinkedIn and then he switched to actually helping people build their own side hustle. And so for me, you know, I've been doing a sales and sales development and I've been doing that for three years. And basically I, I reached a point where I don't really need to, I, I just work on my own terms. I don't really, you know, need to worry too much about money or time. So I found this really cool sweet spot. And I know so many people in sales who are exactly like that, who want to really move from being like, you know, basically escape the hamster wheel, which is the name of my newsletter, escaping the hamster wheel. And they just want to basically build a life on their own terms where they don't know how to do this. So I'm basically documenting all that. And I really want to know, you know, I have bunches of assumptions, but I really want to get to this audience I have already and understand what's going on and what kind of things they would like to see. So I can sell courses, you know, like tons of different stuff like that. But how would I go and take your approach and basically do what, you know, do what you did, but, you know, for my stuff, what would you mm -hmm. suggest? Yeah, I mean, the first step would be to probably hypothesize, hypothesize what your target audience is, right? So I think you said a few things, you know, people who are probably in a fairly senior sales role or have a reasonable amount of experience there, they probably want to get out of a, an organization, which is like, I would hypothesize is, is like fairly large, like maybe a large-ish startup because they want to have a little bit more freedom themselves. So start with this hypothesis, um, find a few of them. Uh, it doesn't need to be loads, but you just need to, maybe you can get a couple of intros through friends. Um, read the mum test, obviously, and mm -hmm. write your write your script. So your script should be like oriented around how you can, you know, validate and invalidate people's uh, or invalidate, validate and invalidate your hypotheses around what people are doing. Um, and we're related to that, then, you know, really think about the actions that they are going through. You know, how are they finding content? What is their workflow there? Mm -hmm. What are they ultimately looking to do? Maybe for your case, what would be interesting is to learn what is the trigger that would actually lead someone to quitting their job yeah. or like going solo because maybe that is the that is the path that you could structure it around. It's like right. people are saying probably, oh, I'm sick of working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Fuck this. I want to do something else. Maybe your content can be positioned around that sentiment or that emotion mm -hmm. and can be like a path to leading people away from that. So I would start start with that um, start with that kind of discussion guide um, with that call script. Go through a couple of interviews. Mm -hmm. Always in the interview, I would be asking us the final question. And this is uh, something from the mum test. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that is worth mentioning? Because this is your like get out of jail free card. Yeah. If you find out your, your call script was complete shit, someone is still going to say, oh, there's this thing. And the amount of times that I've realized in a call script, like in this process, oh my God, this was like the biggest nugget of insight. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that really like completely flipped the boat. Uh, the rest of it was just all 
they was was all crap for the first half hour and then yeah. they've just told me everything in one sentence right at the end and this is your like yeah you'll get out of jail free card so i'd, I'd keep something like that in uh, at that stage and i think that that's that's your initial process mm -hmm. you're going to go through that then you're going to go and analyze and understand you know what are my insights i spoke to three uh five eight people typically with user research there's like shorthand is is after like the first eight if there it's a fairly homogenous group you'll start to mm -hmm. hear like the same things again yeah so you can say all right after eight i'm gonna like if you treat it as like an 80 20 principle i'll probably have heard 80 percent of the stuff yeah, yeah. I'm going to go and analyze then um, what's my insight. Cool. Then like, am I going to tweak the, tweak the call script and the discussion guide, go and do it again, repeat, iterate. Uh, and then I think you start, should start to sort of have a process that informs itself and gets you to a, a good stage. Okay. Okay. That's really, that's really cool because you know, it's something, for example, there's one assumption like that I, something I didn't understand at all before, you know, working with sales teams and, and, and sales leaders is one thing in prospecting that is lacking is consistency. And for me, just consistency has always been something where it just like, it's not complicated for me to do a sequence follow up and just do it every day being staying super consistent. But apparently for most people, just the fact of building a sequence and knowing how, you know, like just, how to execute the sequence every day and reach some like consistent results is really challenging. And so for me, it was just, you know, it's not really complicated. And I realized that by talking, you know, to different people in a less structured way, but, you know, hearing the same feedback, then I launched like a product like a month ago or like two weeks ago, made like 5,000 euro like that, just, you know, out of like building a process, you know, on like, so on that. So I think it's just very interesting to take this approach and in sales, I think, it, it, you know, if we take like the, the, uh, the idea of how we can do it with sales and apply it with prospecting is that if you go with this approach of having assumptions, you know, like I have uh, three problems my, my product is pretty much solving. You test these assumptions with your prospects and they'll tell you what they want. They say, okay, that's great. Or that, that isn't great. And, you know, that's also the thing. I, I, and I, that's going to be my question for you is, do you think there are some products and startups that are so heavily financed where they get so much cash so early on that they are not really actually solving a problem? And then they push on their sales teams to go and sell the product to the, the problem, but the problem doesn't exist. They just raise tons of money and actually there's no problem to solve. So have you seen this kind of thing already? I mean, I think the most interesting tool that comes to mind is probably Asana for me. Mm -hmm. We used Asana at N26 and I remember like the sales process was crazy. It was going on for months. In the end, we signed some super expensive contract that was like, I think, 50K a year, um, which for a tool like that, you know, being used by like 30 people or something is, is actually quite insane at the, at the B2B SaaS level. And what we realized is like we were trying to use a tool to solve a structural problem within the organization. And, you know, back then I really thought like oh, Asana or we all thought Asana is the, you know, the gold standard in this like project management stuff. Since we've started user research with Spoke, out of all of the companies that we spoke to, we spoke to over 100 um, with different product managers. Only one of them was using Asana mm -hmm. for product development and, and project management on that side. So I think it's an interesting example of like a tool that from the outside looks like it's super successful. And I mean, obviously, market share is great, um, but really, it's actually not solving the problem that it's trying to mm -hmm. on the kind of product development side. I think it's actually being used much more on, on marketing. Yeah. Um, and topics like that you know i think it's in sense we have so many tools like that we have big tools where at some point you know you have to uh 
if you want to be serious, it's just the, this kind of peer pressure you see. If you want to be serious, you need to get, you know, XYZ tool. I'm not going to say some names, but you need to have the tools because that these are the tools where it's very fancy and whatever. And this, in California, it's like that. You have uh, every valuation is over like uh, 1 billion or whatever, because every quarter they raise a quarter of a million, basically. Every, every six months, every three months, you, you raise a quarter of a million. But the thing is, out of these 250 million that are going, there's 200 million that are going in marketing. So they are going, you know, buying taxis, buying billboards, like uh, getting Magic Johnson to come and speak at a sales kickoff or whatever. Yeah. And then it was like, well, that's such a great brand. And then you're like, yeah, the brand is great. But the product, is it that great? You know, is it, you know, really solving something or people are just, you know, like investing, you know, in this kind of Ponzi scheme where they're just pushing money to, bo to boost the valuation. And then they, you know, they do an exit. It's great. And it's, not, it's solving like no problem. So I think that's, it's kind of what we see. And I think that's why it's, it's, it's just a bit weird, you know, to see all this money and, and why people celebrate raising money. But very often it's just to, to, you know, like own the market, own the narrative, but not really solve the problem. Yeah, I'm glad you said Ponzi scheme, actually, because I've used that phrase a few times with fundraising. Yeah. Like it feels like oh, it's there are too many people invested at some point and it can't possibly fail. And then you've yeah. got to get intros from investors to make sure that you can do some deal. And it's like, it's not product market fit at all. It's just finding this way to like bullshit your way to yes. some exit point at which the Ponzi scheme can get paid out. Um, mm -hmm. I even actually heard from a, an investor, and I think this is one of the worst pieces of advice I ever received, which was that like, you should only be thinking about building tools for enterprise. I mean, yes, Salesforce is one of the most uh, valuable companies in the world. It's a fucking shit tool, but yeah. they have locked people in in an amazing way. Yeah. Um, but that is complete bullshit. It's absolutely not the case that you can only create value um, by building tools for enterprise. Mm -hmm. Like look at MailChimp, for example, look yeah. at that IPO. That was incredible. Oh, sorry, acquisition even. You know, that, is, that was an incredible example of how you can create amazing SaaS. I actually don't even think MailChimp is that good, but you can create pretty good SaaS yeah. that is sold to people like who are operating small businesses and you can build an amazing, uh, an amazingly valuable business without going anywhere near the enterprise market. Exactly. And the enterprise market is a, also a horrible market to go into for sales cycles and yeah, and data protection requirements and all of this stuff. Yeah, enterprises, I just hate selling to enterprise because, you know, you have this layer of complexity, procurement, legal, that is just, you know, BS. And what you see is that um, I think it's a very antiquated uh, uh, school of thoughts to say we have to go to the enterprise because then, you know, you are, it's extremely expensive. You have to build a really expensive outbound function. And what you see is that there's more and more like the creator economy and, you know, smaller business that are solving smaller problems, but that are big pro problem big enough. I'm thinking of a company called Lemlist. They started as a very small company. Now they, they reached 10, 10 million AR, like no funding, you know, just purely bootstrapped. And they are doing really great. They are, you know, helping in, in cold outreach. And so I think the enterprise stuff is just, you know, it's, it's just the old narrative. But you have smaller companies, smaller business like solopreneurs, you know, one person shop that need also to operate. And there's more and more of them. And by the way, there's one stat, I think it's 28 or 30% of kids want to become YouTuber. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a, a like, a, you know, fi fighter pilot or an astronaut, you know, now they want to become YouTubers. So if these kids want to become YouTubers, they will want to create their own stuff, you know, document their lives and make money doing this. So you need tools for that. And so mm -hmm. there's a this saying, which is like, when there's a gold rush, sell tools. 
So I think that's really the, you know, this, this mindset. And I think that's why, you know, you don't need to go just for the enterprise, just need to find the next, the next gold rush and create the infrastructure to actually help extract the gold, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, isn't that anyway, the whole of the Web3 like movement is, is like putting the hands back in people to own their own data and own uh, what they are producing via, yeah. you know, blockchains and similar kind of structures. And I think that that's, a, that's very empowering and quite an exciting uh, process and I'm going to yeah. launch my TikTok now and become a, an amazing TikTok influencer. <laughs> Sell some NFTs and whatever. <laughs> exactly. There's so many concepts. Every week there's new concept. I had, you know, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> Do you feel old now? Yeah, I'm starting to feel pretty old, but uh, I still have the brain power to try things. But, you know, I get these <laughs> things where this shiny object uh, syndrome where I'm just like, okay, which one should I jump on? But yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. <laughs> I feel you. Cool. So, Jack, um, that was really a cool conversation. I think you know, like, I love talking like that with, you know, people who have, uh, you know, who are not directly into sales all the time, but founding stuff, you have this product background, which is very interesting. And uh, I think that brings so much perspective on our job in sales. It's just, you know, like there's a business problem. We need, we're there to start conversations with people and solve this business problem. And having this approach, I think is a great way to do that. So thanks for that. Do you have any last word, anything you want to talk about, promote? Now you have uh, some time for that. Sure. I mean, I spoke a little bit about Spoke at the min- at the beginning. Um, yeah, what we're trying to build is is a system to make information sharing effortless. I think that is a process that is definitely still stuck in in the early two thousands. There's so mm-hmm. much noise in Slack, in Zoom, uh, in Teams, in whatever you're using, and we believe fundamentally that AI can uh, play a very positive role in that. Uh, if you're interested in using the product, you can head over to spoke.ai. That's S-P-O-K-E dot A-I. Um, join the waitlist um, and we'd love to chat or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Okay. I'll put both links to your profile on LinkedIn and to spoke.ai in the show notes so people can go and check it out. Cool. Thanks. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jack. That was great and have a great day. Likewise. Good to chat. Thanks for listening to that episode. If you like what you hear and you want to explore more, I invite you to join the Selling Advantage community. It's a paid community we're running with Skip Miller, where you're going to get access to a content library with training, checklists, and exclusive resources. You'll also get access to our experimentation swipe file and a Discord group with 150 Texas people. We also have online events where we invite special guests, a regular Ask Us Anything, and our content is focused on sales for North America and EMEA. If you want to check it out, go to sellingadvantage.io or click on the link in the show notes and you'll be able to sign up. 